Welcome, listeners, to the next episode of They Didn't Teach That at School. My name is Mark Kerrigan, and the theory behind this podcast is to uncover some of the amazing, fascinating, and quirky things that have occurred throughout history that they didn't teach you at school. Our first 10 podcasts are going to focus on the Bible, and we're going to discover some incredible things that you probably didn't know. Today's episode is part one of a two-part podcast. In this podcast, we're going to look at 10 distinct archaeological artefacts in history that corroborate with texts found in the Old Testament. In this week's episode of Ancient Artefacts, the five artefacts we will be investigating are the Amarna Letters, the Kirk Monolith, the Lachish Reliefs, the Siloam Tunnel, and the Black Obelisk of Shalmaneser III. Each of these artefacts reveal not only a fascinating insight into how these civilizations conducted themselves, but how the Hebrews observed and recorded their interactions with their neighbours. So let's dive straight in and discover what we can about the Amarna Letters. The Amarna Letters are a collection of clay tablets discovered in the late 19th century in the city of Amarna in Egypt. These letters provide a unique glimpse into the international diplomacy of the ancient Near East during the reign of Pharaoh Akhenaten. Akhenaten is often referred to as the heretic Pharaoh. He ascended to the throne around 1353 BCE and introduced a revolutionary religious and cultural shift by establishing the worship of a single god, the Aten. Akhenaten then moved the capital of Egypt from Thebes to a newly constructed city, Amarna, because he claimed this was the site that the Aten revealed itself to him. It is within this historical context that the Amarna letters emerged. The Amarna letters are a collection of diplomatic correspondence between Atenaken and various kings, rulers and city-states across the ancient Near East. The clay tablets were inscribed with messages of great significance, shedding light on the intricate relationships, alliances and conflicts between the different powers of the era. The letters were written in Arcadian cuneiform, the language and writing system prevalent in Mesopotamia and other regions at the time. This allowed for easier and effective communications between the myriad of diverse cultures and languages of that period. One of the most remarkable aspects of the Amarna letters is the sheer number of correspondences discovered. Over 380 clay tablets have been unearthed so far, although it is believed that many more remain undiscovered. These letters paint a vivid picture of the political landscape during the Amarna period. The letters reveal a myriad of topics, from diplomatic pleasantries and royal marriages to military alliances and requests for aid. They also expose the struggle for power and influence among the different rulers of the ancient Near East. It is truly fascinating to see how these letters offer a glimpse into the lives and concerns of the people living in that era. We can see their hopes, fears and ambitions through these written exchanges. The Amarna letters also provide invaluable insight into the economic, cultural and social aspects of the time. They mention trade routes, precious commodities and even personal requests for luxury items. These details allow us to reconstruct the ancient world in remarkable detail. One of the most intriguing aspects of the Amarna letters is their connection to the biblical narrative. Several letters mention powerful figures like the king of Babylon or the king of Hatti, who scholars believe could be the biblical Nebuchadnezzar II and the Hittite ruler Sipililiuma I. Jerusalem is referred to as Ursulum, and the letters mention several other cities and regions that align with the biblical narrative. The Amarna letters also shed light on the geopolitical dynamics of the time. They mention a powerful king called Abdi Heba, the ruler of Jerusalem, who pleads with Pharaoh Akhenaten for assistance against the invading Habiri, which many scholars believe to be an early reference to the Hebrews. 
These letters provide a glimpse into the struggles faced by the regional powers during that era and give historical context to the events described in the Bible. They offer evidence that aligns with biblical accounts and adds depth to our knowledge of the ancient world. It is important to note, however, that while the Amarna letters in the Bible share common historical themes, they do not present an identical narrative. They provide different perspectives reflecting the diverse cultural and political dynamics of the time. Nevertheless, these letters are invaluable in corroborating and enriching our knowledge of the biblical era. Another fascinating aspect of the Amarna letters is their impact on biblical scholarship. These clay tablets have allowed researchers to better understand the language, culture and historical context of the biblical world. Scholars have gained insight into diplomatic practices, trade routes and even the social structure of ancient societies. These connections between the Amarna letters and the Bible provide a fascinating bridge between historical records and ancient texts, adding further layers to our understanding of the ancient world. The Amarna letters are an invaluable resource for historians and archaeologists, shedding light on an often overlooked period of ancient history. They remind us that even in the distant past, people grapple with many of the same challenges we face today. Political manoeuvring, diplomatic negotiations and the pursuit of prosperity and security. Our next artefact is the Kirk monolith. This story begins in the late 19th century when a remarkable artefact was unearthed during an excavation in the small village of Kirk in modern-day Turkey. The artefact, known as the Kirk monolith, is a monumental stone slab adorned with intricate carvings and inscriptions. It stands over six feet tall and bears the names of numerous ancient kingdoms and rulers, documenting a significant event in history. The Kirk monolith is an invaluable source of information about the monumental Battle of Karga that took place in 853 BCE between the Assyrian Empire, led by King Shalmaneser III, and a coalition of kingdoms led by King Hadadiza of Damascus. The stele provides a vivid account of the battle and serves as a testament to the power and influence of the ancient empires of the time. And what makes the Kirk monolith truly fascinating is the level of detail preserved on the surface. The carvings depict vivid scenes of warfare, showing, showcasing soldiers, chariots and even hunting scenes. The accompanying inscriptions, written in cuneiform, describe the military campaigns and the political alliances of the era. It also reveals the scale and complexity of ancient warfare. The coalition assembled against the Assyrians consisted of a number of kingdoms and peoples, each contributing their force to the conflict. The battle involved thousands of soldiers, chariots and horses, and the outcome had far-reaching consequences for the region. The inscription on the Kirk monolith not only provide valuable historical context, but shed light on the complex interactions between various ancient kingdoms. For instance, the stele mentions the involvement of Ahab, the famous biblical king of Israel who was part of the coalition fighting against the Assyrian Empire. While the battle itself is not explicitly mentioned in the Bible, its repercussions and historical context surrounding it can be found within the pages of Scripture. The Bible's Book of Kings depicts Ahab as a powerful king who engaged in military campaigns and diplomatic alliances. In fact, Ahab's confrontation with the Assyrians is alluded to in the biblical narrative with references to Assyria's aggressive expansion and Israel's efforts to form alliances against it. Additionally, the monolith's depiction of the Battle of Karga is crucial for understanding the geopolitical landscape of the ancient Near East during this time. The coalition of regional powers that joined forces against the Assyrians represented a united front in the face of a powerful empire. 
This aligns with biblical accounts of alliances formed by Israel and its neighbours to resist Assyrian dominance. The Kirk monolith is not just a mere stone slab. It is a window into the past, a tangible link to the ancient world. Its preservation and decipherment have allowed us to unravel the mysteries of ancient civilizations and gain deeper insights into the complexities of human history. The detailed accounts of battles, conquest and political dynamics provide a glimpse into the lives and aspirations of the people who lived in those times. Our next artefact to examine are the reliefs depicting the Siege of Lachish. Our journey takes us back over 2,700 years to the ancient city of Lachish, situated in present-day Israel. Lachish was a prominent city in the Kingdom of Judah during the Iron Age, boasting strong fortifications and a thriving population. It played a pivotal role in the biblical narratives, particularly in the Old Testament. One of the most significant events in Lachish's history occurred in the late 8th century BCE, when the mighty Assyrian Empire, under the reign of King, under the reign of King Sennacherib, set its sights on conquering the region. The Assyrians were known for their military might and ruthless tactics, often documented in their own annals and corroborated by archaeological findings. According to the Bible, the city of Lachish was besieged by the Assyrian forces during King Hezekiah's reign. The biblical account in the book of 2 Kings 18.13-14 describes how King Sennacherib of Assyria sent his commander with a large army to Lachish, demanding the city's surrender. To gain a deeper understanding of this historical event, we turn to the field of archaeology, where a wealth of evidence has been unearthed. In the 19th century, British archaeologist Sir Henry Lainard discovered the famous Lachish reliefs in the ruin of Sennacherib's palace in Nineveh. These intricately carved stone panels depicted scenes from the Assyrian siege of Lachish, providing a tangible link between the historical events and the Bible. The Lachish reliefs depict the brutal realities of war, showing Assyrian soldiers attacking the city's defences, scaling ladders and engaging in hand-to-hand -hand combat with the defenders. The graphic scenes vividly portrayed the destruction and chaos that ensued during the siege. Interestingly, these reliefs align with the biblical narrative, providing invaluable corroborative evidence. But what happened to the city of Lachish after the Assyrian siege? The Bible tells us that it fell to the Assyrians, along with many other cities in the region. However, it is important to note that the story doesn't end there. The biblical book of Jeremiah mentions Lachish once again, this time during the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar II of Babylon, approximately a century later. In Jeremiah 34, 7, we learn that Lachish was under siege by the Babylonians during the final days of the Kingdom of Judah. The Babylonian siege of Lachish is further supported by discovery of clay tablets known as the Lachish Letters. These ancient documents, found in an archaeological excavation in 1935, contain correspondence between military officers stationed at Lachish and their superiors in Jerusalem, discussing the dire situation and the imminent threat posed by the Babylonian forces. The siege of Lachish, both during the Assyrian and Babylonian eras, showcases the cyclical nature of ancient conquests and the historical accuracy of biblical accounts. The archaeological evidence, including the Lachish reliefs and the Lachish letters, bring to life the stories found in the Old Testament, bridging the gap between ancient texts and tangible historical events. We next move to the Siloam Tunnel. In the 8th century BC, during the reign of King Hezekiah of Judah, the city of Jerusalem was under siege by the mighty Assyrian Empire, and its inhabitants were in dire need of water. As recorded in the second book of Kings, chapter 20, verse 20, King Hezekiah sought to protect his people and secure the water supply. 
The Bible tells us that he embarked on an ambitious project to divert water from the Gihon Spring outside the city wall to a pool inside the city. He achieved this by commissioning the Siloam Tunnel, also known as Hezekiah's Tunnel. Rediscovered in the mid-19th century, this remarkable underground passage runs for approximately 530 metres and connects the Gihon Spring to the Pool of Siloam within Jerusalem's ancient walls. This engineering marvel demonstrates the ingenuity and resourcefulness of the people of that time. This task was no small feat. The engineers, with primitive tools and without modern technology, had to excavate a tunnel through solid rock for over 533 metres. They started digging from two opposite ends, one team working on the Gihon Spring and the other from the city of Jerusalem. The two teams had to navigate their way through dark, uncertain depths of the mountain, working without the luxury of GPS or advanced surveying equipment. And astonishingly, their efforts paid off. After nearly a year of relentless digging, the two teams met in the middle, achieving an impressive engineering feat that showcased the brilliance and determination of ancient civilizations. But what's even more remarkable is that an inscription discovered within the tunnel, a message from those ancient workers, reads, And this was the manner in which the tunnel was cut through. While we were still working on it, the stone cutters struck, and each man towards his counterpart, axe against axe, and the water flowed from the source to the pool for 1,200 cubits, and 100 cubits was the height of the rock above the head of the stonecutters. This inscription provides a unique glimpse into the challenges these workers faced and the incredible progress they made under unimaginable circumstances. Now, imagine walking through the Siloam Tunnel, waist-deep in water, with its uneven terrain and echoing sounds of your footstep reverberating against the walls. It's a surreal experience connecting you to the past, and making you appreciate the ingenuity and sheer determination of our ancestors. The Siloam Tunnel not only secured Jerusalem's water supply, but also played a crucial role in the city's history. It allowed the city to survive the Assyrian siege and flourish during subsequent centuries. The Siloam Tunnel is testament to the rich history of Jerusalem. Its existence and the biblical reference ties to it have been crucial in confirming the accuracy and authenticity of biblical accounts. The tunnel's discovery shed light on the people, events and ancient customs described in the Bible, providing valuable insights for scholars. The Siloam Tunnel stands as a symbol of human ingenuity and a testament to the profound connection between archaeology and the Bible. It reminds us that behind the stories and scriptures lies a tangible world waiting to be unearthed and explored. Which leads us to our final discovery for part one, the Black Oblast of Shalmaneser III. The Black Obelisk of Shalmaneser III is a remarkable artefact that takes us back to the 9th century BCE. It stands as a testament to the power and grandeur of the mighty Assyrian Empire whose influence stretched across Mesopotamia. In the ancient city of Nimrud, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, Shalmaneser III, a mighty ruler known for his military conquests, sought to commemorate his achievement and establish his legacy. And so he commissioned the creation of a massive obelisk that would serve as a symbol of his dominance. The artisans of the time worked diligently, chiselling away at a single block of black limestone, intricately carving scenes that depicted Shalmaneser III's victory, rituals and tributes paid by conquered nations. The obelisk stands at over six and a half feet and is covered in cuneiform inscriptions documenting the king's military campaigns and the lavish gifts he received. One of the prominent scenes depicted on the obelisk is the aforementioned Battle of Kagar. The release shows a vivid portrayal of the battle with the king standing tall, 
wielding a bow and leading his troops into combat. The inscription accompanied the scene lists a vast coalition of enemy forces, including the kings of various nations such as Aram Damascus, Israel and others who united against Assyria but were ultimately defeated. The obelisk also commemorates Shalmaneser III's conquest of numerous cities and regions, with depictions of defeated kings bringing tribute and offering gifts as a sign of submission. These tributes often included precious metals, exotic animals and other valuable commodities. The inscriptions meticulously document the names of conquered rulers and the vast amounts of tribute they present to the Assyrian king. One of the most striking scenes portrays a tribute procession, with representatives from various nations kneeling before Shalmaneser III, presenting him with precious treasures. It is important to note that the Black Obelisk doesn't provide an exhaustive list of Shalmaneser III's victories and gifts, as it focuses primarily on notable events and influential figures. However, this remarkable artwork does provide a valuable insight into the diversity and complex relationships between Assyria and its neighbouring civilizations. Now, you might be wondering, what does this Assyrian artefact have to do with the Bible? Well, it turns out that the Black Obelisk provides us with valuable historical context and fascinating connection to the biblical narratives. In particular, one of the most intriguing connections involves a figure known as Jehu. In the Hebrew scriptures, Jehu is described as a king of Israel who reigned during the 9th century BCE. He is mentioned in both the Book of Kings and the Book of Chronicles. According to the Bible, Jehu carried out a coup against the ruling dynasty and established himself as king. On one of the panels of the Black Obelisk, we find a relief carving depicting a bearded man bowing before Shalmaneser III. The inscription identifies this man as Jehu, son of Omri. This remarkable discovery corroborates the biblical account of Jehu and provides us with an extra-biblical reference to this historical figure. The depiction of Jehu on the back of the Black Obelisk not only confirms the existence of this biblical character, but also sheds light on the Assyrian influence and dominance over the region during that period. The carving shows Jehu humbly bowing before the mighty Assyrian king, presenting tribute as a symbol of submission. This raises intriguing questions about the political dynamics between Assyrians and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. The biblical narratives portray Israel's relationship with the Assyrians as complex, often vacillating between alliances and conflicts. The depiction of Jehu on the obelisk offers us a tangible connection to these historical events. The Black Obelisk provides invaluable insights into the artistic and cultural achievements of the Assyrians. The detailed carvings showcase the skill and craftsmanship of ancient artisans, capturing the intricate clothing, hairstyle and weapons of the period. It allows us to visualise and understand the people and culture that thrived during that era. As we conclude this episode, we must take time to appreciate the remarkable Black Obelisk of Shalmaneser III. This, art, this ancient artefact provides us with a tangible link to the biblical accounts of Jehu and sheds light on the historical, political and cultural landscape of the time. It serves as a testament to the rich tapestry of human history and the interplay between different civilizations. And that wraps up part one of Ancient Artifacts on They Didn't Teach That at School. Once again, thank you for listening to my ramble through the amazing and fascinating things that are being uncovered through archaeology. Don't forget to tune in to my next podcast when we look at another five historical artifacts that help connect the biblical narratives with actual historical sources and events. I hope you've enjoyed this dive into ancient history and the quirky details that make it so intriguing. Stay curious, keep exploring, and remember, there's always more to learn. I'm Mark Kerrigan. See you next time on They Didn't Teach That at School.